Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss Ireland, England, and Scotland. But first, a word from our sponsor. Listen, and look, I mean, pay attention. Real watch collectors don't pay retail prices, and neither should you. Crown & Caliber is the smartest way to buy or sell your luxury watch. You know what certified pre-owned means when you're buying a luxury car. And with Crown & Caliber, you now have the same level of confidence when buying or selling a certified pre-owned luxury watch. To find the perfect watch, visit crownandcaliber.com slash tomorrow. That should be in all lowercase, by the way. crownandcaliber.com slash tomorrow. Or you can speak to one of their watch experts on the phone at 888-226-5795 to learn more about Crown & Caliber. Plus, now through August 30th, listeners who enter promo code CCTOMORROW will receive 150 bucks off their first luxury watch purchase. That's crownandcaliber.com slash tomorrow, or give them a call. Don't be a fool. Don't pay retail. Get the watch you want at the price you deserve. My guest today is a senior editor at Fusion and host of the Slate Money podcast and uh, is, in fact, a British person. I'm, of course, talking about Felix Salmon. Felix, thank, Hi, Josh. You. thank you for being here. Um, very happy to do this. Yes. Listen, uh, when when England decided to leave the European Union, I said to myself... And, and by the way, you are absolutely right to use the word England there <laughs> rather than Britain or right, the UK. Right. Are you, can I say you're British, though? Is that fair? Yes, I, okay, I am. Okay. I'm English. I am British. But <laughs> it, it was England who made this fateful decision. It was not Scotland who was overwhelmingly in favor of remaining. Of remaining. Or, because know, they're Northern so, Ireland. Because they're very reasonable people in Scotland. They are. Um, and by the way, if you're wondering why you're, why, if you, you hear birds, Felix is in a, a, a beautiful, where are you, Costa Mesa? Costa Mesa, California. A beautiful, sunny region of the United States. Um, it's actually sunny here now, so I can't complain. Anyhow, so, okay, so let's talk about, I, I was basically like, you know, look, Felix would be perfect to talk about the Brexit. First off, what's your level of comfort with the phrase Brexit? Because I find it... Um, extremely annoying am i the only person who feels this way i feel like it diminishes the the um importance of the event it makes it into like kind of like a like a monster truck rally so brexit is a word that was invented in the financial markets as a kind of um like well you know if we take this to its logical conclusion there was this thing called grexit do you remember grexit yeah i remember the grexit sure so so grexit <laughs> was the greek exit which never happened did not happen in the end. i mean of all and, it's so incredible think about how fucked up things were in, in in greece and yet they 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 stuck well i guess they needed to stay actually really for them but but yeah so everyone like grexit was a real possibility and people were talking about grexit and the financial markets were terrified of grexit for very many good reasons and and then during the Grexit debate, there was this kind of running joke of like, well, if you could have Grexit, you could have Brexit. No one really took it seriously. And so it kind of began life as a joke. But then because there wasn't a better name for it, it kind of crossed over that line between sort of financial jargon into every, it is the word which everyone is using. You know, the, the official Twitter hashtag was EU ref, which was so much worse. Uh, yeah, way worse. Did you, now hold on, did the idea begin as a joke or just the term? Just the term. Okay. It wasn't like, oh, uh, wouldn't it be funny if England left the European <laughs> Union? And then, and then somebody was like, hey, actually, because that's, that's, you know, because that's how Trump really started i mean i think trump in this country was like a joke and then uh turned out to not be a joke but um 
Okay, so let's yeah. let's do this. Assume that people listening, many people listening, I think we all understand what's happened basically at this point. Like, and I'll give you my, you know, obviously I know, I hopefully know a little bit about this, but I'll say my basic understanding is uh, there was a referendum of uh, essentially a vote for the citizenry of England. Or actually, of, of Britain. You know, of Britain actually, actually, it's a bit more complicated than that. Okay, I can't it even. Was, <laughs> it, was the popul- it was the population of the UK, um, which basically means anyone who was living in the UK and a European citizen. So you could have been a French national in the UK or a German national in the UK or an Irish national in the UK. Certain Commonwealth nationals as well could vote. Um, and UK citizens living abroad could vote if they had been abroad for less than 15 years. Um, it's so it's not just you know UK citizens. Well, let's okay. Let's but let's say it's a but largely. I mean, it's yeah. people in the UK and yeah. those associated with living in the UK. Um, the but essentially there was a vote, and the vote was this: should we remain as part of the European Union, which was and correct me if I'm wrong, which was founded in 1993. Right? No, no, no. The European Union is 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 a post-war project. Is it? But the uh, actual EU was not. So I went and read up on this. So there is like there are forms of the EU that start post what World War Two. Right. So it started as something called the European Coal and Steel Community. <laughs> right. Um, Which is much more specific. E- e- ESC, <laughs> uh, the ECSC, and it then transformed. Um, into this huge and noble political project, which was basically born out of the ashes of World War II to say that this continent, which had spent so many centuries in bloody wars, must never again set nation against nation and have people fighting each other. And the way you do that is by building, first of all, trade ties and commercial ties and then bringing people together politically as well and so that there was a sequence of things there was you know starting with the ecse and then going through the european commission and the european economic area and now the european union and right okay so and and then eventually the eurozone um so you know which is which is the single currency which britain is not a member of right and the schengen group which is the group of countries where you can move around freely without having to get your passport out every time you cross the border. So there's a bunch of these um, sort of political and social and economic groupings. Um, and yes, you, that one of them is, and, and the biggest and the most important one is the EU. Right. Okay. So, so they came up with the EU name, at least in the, in 93. Is this correct? Cause I was reading, I was sort of like boning up on this and the, the actual like European union as a named entity did not exist until relatively recently, but you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, cause I might be wrong. I mean, based on my Wikipedia readings, it's possible at any rate. It's a- yeah, I mean, so, so, so what happened in 93, just to be clear, is this thing called the EEC became this thing called the EU. Right, okay, so it's just a name change. It's an, it's it, a name. I mean, there was a little bit more than just a name change, but really it was basically a name change. But for, the, but for okay, so for, uh, okay, so this is only as, as a backdrop here, just to say there is a, a uh, this group of European countries, they've been together for a very long time, essentially with some, there's, it starts with, it's, a, it's an eco, economic um uh, sort of um, agreement or arrangement, which leads into um, like a cultural arrangement in, in many ways, right? Mm-hmm. 
can you just explain, let's just assuming that's a baseline here. Can you explain how England, England leaving the EU starts? Can you give me like the, the um, cheat sheet on where this begins and how it got to the point where it became a real vote and how it, and how we ended up where, with it actually happening, which, which is a thing that I believe that I thought, like, this is one of some absurd thing, you know, right. like Trump becoming president. This is an right. absurd thing that'll never happen. Correct. Um, can you just get like, assume that people listening and, and frankly, for me, like, I'd like to hear your version of this. But like, wh- how did this happen? Where did this sure. come from? Sure. So um, the first thing I want to say is. um be careful when you use the word England, okay. because, because England is one of four countries um, in the United Kingdom. Right. And, no. you know, it's the United Kingdom which is leaving the EU. It's not right. Okay. England. Okay. All right. Although the one of the repercussions of this vote is that probably Scotland is going to vote to leave the UK. And so Scotland's going to become an independent country, which then may or may not be able to join the EU and its independence. Um, but yes, let me answer your um question which is that in 2015 we had a general election we have a general election every five years and as scheduled the um the prime minister you know that the there was a general election the two main parties are the conservative party and the labor party and they were fighting it out to see who would be able to get a majority in parliament um in the end that election was kind of big and important because it there was this huge swing to the Scottish National Party in Scotland which kind of wiped out um, a lot of the Labour votes um, but in any case while the election was happening um, it was not at all obvious that the Conservative Party would be able to get a majority of the votes um, the Conservative leader David Cameron wanted that but no one thought it was very likely and so in an attempt to um shore up his own party because there was this big split in the tory party the conservative party between the eu skeptics and the eu believers um and in an attempt to sort of head off this um threat from the right there's this sort of crazy right-wing racist yeah. party called ukip yeah. the uk independence party sure which was threatening to to take a lot of tory votes and they're like and the, so, they're like the tea party of of uh of of the uk right and so what he did is a kind of tactical electoral um move was he said i'm going if i win if I become prime minister, I'm going to offer a referendum on whether we should stay in the EU. And he reckoned that if he made this promise, then that would placate the Eurosceptics in his own party, and that it would also mean that people who were inclined to vote for UKIP might be slightly more sensible and vote for the Tories. <laughs> and so he, he made this fateful promise, not because he thought that a referendum was particularly important, or because he believed that you know the people must be must speak or even because there was any particular demand in the country for a referendum no one in the country was really calling for a referendum at the time but he did, he just decided that making the promise was going to give him a little bit of an electoral advantage in the 2015 election right. which it did right and by appealing to the you know, by appealing to the isolationists and the racists in the country well, it, was, it wasn't even that. It was just that they kind of said, okay, fine, we'll get a referendum. But no one cared about it that much. Right. And it was a stupid 
tactical move, which everyone kind of looked at him and said, are you serious? Because we all remember just a couple years earlier, there was a Scottish referendum or just one year earlier. There was right. a, no, no, it just, a, a referendum it just happened. in Scottland. Yeah. And, and, and he'd done the same thing in Scotland in order to, again, get a sort of tactical advantage in the general election. He'd promised right. an independence referendum in but Scotland. They held, but they held a vote for that. I mean, that happened. But the point is that that vote was way closer than it should have been. And, you know, what, what it meant was that you had 3.6 million people in Scotland who essentially were had control over whether the United Kingdom would remain a country or not. Right. And there were 64 million people in the UK. Right. It was it was crazy. You allow these three, this tiny, like, three million, three and a half million person minority to have complete control over the future of the country. And it was a very close-run thing. And most sensible people thought after that Scottish independence referendum that Cameron would have learned his lesson, which is that referendums are really stupid things and you never call them. But unfortunately, David Cameron is, I believe the technical term is, a fucking moron. So he went and did the same thing again. Yeah, but on a much grander scale. And with much higher stakes. Right. And lost. <laughs> I mean, but, but okay, so, so, so let me just, let me just, by the way, the, the, um, thank you for that succinct uh, background on it. It's, it's really, you really summed it up beautifully. But also in hearing you tell it, I can't help but think of the parallels between uh, the UK and America right now, the US rather, um, in, in, in this sort of, I, I don't know what it is. This, I mean, we talked about it a little bit before we started, but this, I, this, this, everything has gone off, gone off the rails. It just feels like the, the control that seemed to exist at the center of, of a of a nation uh you know the, the control it seemed to exist in the government where you felt like the people the leaders at least had a handle or control of situations have have gone completely off the rails and seem and, and everybody seems a little crazy like what you're describing to me sounds like a crazy ploy like a desperate crazy ploy and it has had the probably most negative result it could possibly have for for the country which is and and for all of Europe and probably for the world. I mean, right. this has horrible repercussions in France, in Spain, in you know, in the world. And ex and what you're talking about, I think, is basically this move from democracy being a system of government, which has worked really quite well in the West for like a long time, yeah. to democracy being a system of voting. It's like, no, democracy is not about voting. Democracy is about finding representatives who are going to be grown-ups and who are going to govern. Right. And calling a referendum is a way of abrogating that responsibility and saying, actually, I'm not interested in governing. I'm just going to play, like, you know, I'm going to be like the dice man. I'm just going to sort of go to the people and call a plebiscite rather than doing my job, which well, is to govern. Well, it is, and it is, but it also reflects the, I think, the... the um, lack of confidence in a certain segment of the of the public, right? Of of the people of these nations, saying, I mean, certainly, like Trump's rise and the and the complete um, destruction of the of a of a reasonable Republican Party in this country, and some of the extreme of the of the left as well in in the U.S. I think is it certainly is born out of this idea that that 
a, a governing body is a bad idea or that it yeah. somehow is like fundamentally flawed and must be like stri- stripped apart and like put back together. They, they hate the technocrats. They hate the elites. This is a real phenomenon. And if you go back to the presidential primaries in the US, you remember it wasn't that long ago, we were down <laughs> to a final four, yeah. right? Yeah. The final four candidates, I'll remind you, in case you'd forgotten, were <laughs> Please. Trump, Cruz, Clinton, and Sanders. Three of those four candidates were explicitly running on a platform of we hate the elites of both parties. Right. No, and and and, and promises to uh, dismantle significant portions of the of a system that has actually worked. This is the thing that drives me insane when you talk to I mean even smart people now have this idea of the government as a as a problem and it's like well how did we how how do we get to a point where you're able to to bitch about the government right now i mean we it, it, somebody's had to build this thing they had to put a system in place people had to govern so that you could you drive your car somewhere and it's like all of these things that have been put into place these basic things and also like things that are quite complex it, everybody assumes that they just appeared out of the ether and and would naturally uh, you know would naturally happen whether there was a governing body or not i mean that to me is like this weird thread of of like you just drop you're dropping logic out the window yeah i mean we know what life looks like when you don't have a government which works you know like you're welcome to move to venezuela if you want to right but like no one would do that (laughs) right i mean it's completely insane it's completely insane all right so okay so let's let's so let's so now we so there's the vote happens this absurd vote happens now was there an expectation and you must have you must have you must have had a sense when this, when the vote took place, what was the expectation of most of the people in the UK? What was the expectation of economists who were watching uh, this un, unfurl? Like, what? Was what was the expectation of Nigel Farage and Boris Johnson, the leaders of the Leave campaign? Everyone <laughs> thought that the Leave vote would lose, and that is crazily why they voted Leave. Uh, like a huge number of leave voters didn't vote leave because they wanted to leave the eu they voted leave because they wanted to moan and protest and they wanted to send a message to the government they were fed up with this and that and the other and they thought that the best way to send that message to the government would be to vote leave safe in the knowledge that ultimately they would lose right and then they woke up in the morning saying oh my god what have we done so, so no even- one has a plan there was this classic um, my friend faisal islam is the um political editor of sky news in the uk and he talked to a leave mp one of the leaders of the leave campaign and said so you what's he's like what's the plan now that you've won you must have a plan for what you're going to do and this guy who was running the leave campaign got, pointed to the leave headquarters and said oh no we didn't have a plan we were counting on 10 downing street we were counting on the prime minister who was voting remain to have a plan and it's all and they don't have a plan no one has a plan so nobody put in no place so, so you're saying nobody put in place like okay here's what happens on the economic side here's what happens on the sort of socio-political side here's what happens on the cultural side these are our, these are post leave winning yeah we have this no is what one. we set into motion the only person with a plan was nicholas sturgeon who's the 
first minister of scotland she's like i have a plan if they both leave i'm going to ask for scottish independence which makes perfect sense sure and although i was completely opposed to scottish ref- independence during the referendum now i'm with her i'm like well, know, I mean, I you've mean, got to like, you know, for, these English people are completely insane. I mean, if you're but being dragged, being dragged that, into a shitstorm, I mean, you want to get out of it. Beyond that, there is no plan. So, for instance, there's this whole question about Article 50, which you've probably seen referenced a million times. Yes, but feel free, to, feel free to explain it. And, and so, like, there's only one way for a country to leave the EU. And that is for the country to formally notify the European Commission that it is invoking something known as Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty and say, um, we are leaving the EU. That is <laughs> so the only way it, you How's that do done, it. by the way? Is it a letter? Do you deliver yeah. a letter? You, you, can, you can do it by letter. You can do it by fax. Wonderful. You can do it in, in person. There are these meetings of the European Council, and you, know, you can do it in person at, at one of those meetings. Right. But as long as you just basically say the magic words, which is, you know, I am invoking Article 50 and I am and I am declaring that we want to leave the EU. That's basically what you need to do. And that's the only way you can do it. Right. And so... Does Parliament have to vote? Someone in the Leave campaign would have had an idea about how and when Article 50, that would happen. Like, a, time, like happen. a time, a timeline. But, no, but everyone in the Leave campaign is now, is now going around going, oh, yeah, um, yeah, we, there's no rush. We, we don't really need to do that anytime soon. <laughs> maybe, so maybe, do you think no maybe people will be like, if, we, if they just don't do... Whether it's going to happen, because, like, you know, Boris Johnson and the rest of the Leave Tories, none of them are in any rush to invoke this, which means there's a very good chance that this could drag on for years with the Britain remaining in the EU, but just having voted to have left. So, I mean, people could, you could uh, conceivably, everybody could just kind of stall indefinitely. Yes. Is that right? I mean, there's, there's no timeline. There's no, there's no, like, no forcing agent here where somebody will say, oh, it's been two years now. You've only got 90 days remaining to, to or you just get pushed out of the EU. Like, that doesn't happen. Like, the vote actually yeah. doesn't mean anything until somebody does something about it. Is that correct? Correct. It was a non-binding referendum. <laughs> so it's just like, it was just complete bullshit, essentially. I mean, the idea is like, it, it wasn't like that you're giving people any power. You're just saying like, hey, what do you guys think? And then you can decide to take their advice or not take their advice. Except for if you don't take their advice, they will start like stringing you up from lampposts. I mean, the people will, are, will they? Know, will they? Well, although some of a lot of them, a lot of what, what's known as the regret vote, you know, the people who <laughs> voted leave but have now changed their yeah, mind and yeah. said, "Oh my God!" Like I actually believed all of the lies that the Leave campaign was 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 spewing, and now I realize that they're lies, and I want it all back. Um, you know, who knows? The vote, if there was okay, hold on. You know, I want to take a break. And then, because I have a, this is an interesting moment uh, that I wanted to ask about coming up. Um, So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back uh, with more. Today, nearly anything is possible. And if we can dream it, teams can build it. So how do you bring everyone together to create what's next? Here's a solution. Team up with Atlassian, makers of collaboration software that lets teams work and communicate better together. You can assign, track, and manage tasks for any project, no matter how complex. That's the clarity of Jira. Create and share content, organize results, and bring team members up to speed. That's the flexibility of Confluence. 
instant message or video chat with your team from any device. That's the freedom of hip chat. And you can test, review, and manage code in real time with Bitbucket. So look, you can find out more about this stuff if you visit Atlassian.com. You can see how Jira, Confluence, HipChat, and Bitbucket give your team everything they need to organize, discuss, and complete shared work. Atlassian, helping teams everywhere team up to create what's next. Check it out at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Do you love books but find that you never have time to read them? Well, Audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go at the gym during your commute. You know, if you're doing something more nefarious than that, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that audible.com provides over 250,000 titles from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Their app is free and works on iPhones, iPads, Android, and Windows phones, so pretty much everything. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike a streaming or rental service with Audible, you own the books, so you can access your books anytime and anywhere right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has the great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title anytime, no questions asked. Like they're not going to inquire as to what nefarious activities you were up to while listening to the book. You know, I got to say, I never have any time to read books. I have a ton of stuff that I'm meaning to read, and I can never square away a couple of hours just to focus on the books. Listening to them is such an amazing and easy way to do it. Um, I think you're crazy if you're not at least sometimes listening to books as opposed to using your eyeballs to read them. And just for listeners, Audible is offering a free 30-day trial membership. So go to audible.com slash tomorrow today to start your free trial. Again, show your support for tomorrow and me, little old me, and get a free 30-day trial at audible.com slash tomorrow. All right, we're back with Felix Salmon. We're talking about salmon. Is that the way? You, is that the right way? Is it yeah, the right pronunciation? Just yeah, the way. Yeah. Just if I was ordering a fish. Exactly. Mm. Actually, I could go for a fish right now. Um, <laughs> okay, so we're talking about we're talking about Brexit. And we're talking about okay. Here's the big question. So, so you were just saying that um, it it isn't really there is nothing in place now technically that forces uh, the, the the UK to leave uh, the uh, the EU. Correct. But but the populace could be very angry because because there is quite a bit. I mean, what was the what was the percentage of of leave to to stay? Fifty two forty eight. This is a pretty you know n- notable gap there. Although, uh, like as I say, a large chunk of that gap has now changed its mind. Well, people were like, "Oh, I was just kidding," or "I didn't really know what it meant." I mean, apparently there were several uh, several stories written. I don't know. If, I don't know if Fusion did one or not, but I saw a bunch of stories about people furiously googling in the in the UK. People furiously googling like, "What does it mean to leave the EU?" Right. <laughs> uh, or, or fucking... even, or even, you know, what is the EU? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You ought to know. But, 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 yeah, the Leave campaign was based on lies. I mean, it. It really was. You, it's no two ways about it. They lied about the amount of money that Britain was sending to Europe every week. They lied about the amount of money that this would free up for, like, the National Health Service. They lied, most importantly, about immigration. They basically said that uh, if we leave the EU, then we can massively cut down on the amount of immigration into this country because Britain a little bit like the U.S. is in this kind of crazy, like, anti-immigrant phase right, right. now. And right. 
what no one in the Leave campaign said before the referendum, but they're perfectly happy to say now, is, oh, actually, even if we do leave, that doesn't mean we're going to cut down on immigration because we're going to want to retain our trade ties with Europe. So that right. means people are talking about like the Norway model or the Switzerland model or, or something like this, where basically you retain trade ties with Europe without being a member of the EU, which is all well and good, except for that one of the conditions for retaining those trade ties is precisely that you have to continue to allow European citizens to live and work in your country. <laughs> Which is like, why leave the EU in the first place since you already have that in, right. it's in like, place? Like the, the question is, do you want to be a member of the EU and be, have a seat at the table and be important and help to you know, steer the ship? Or do you just want to leave the EU and be at the mercy of whatever the EU wants to do and have no say in that. It's like, it's obvious that Britain is better off in the EU than out of it. It's just, this is a protest vote. This is an anger vote. This is not a considered policy vote. Right. So, so, so I don't want to get to the sort of what happens now, but I want to talk a little bit about what happened immediately following this vote. So the global economy immediately started uh, like spiraling out of control. I mean, the Br the the British UK economy, um, the 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 pound dropped in value a massive amount in like several minutes. What was it? Uh, several so, yeah, hours. Well, I mean, like when the when when one of the early results came in from Sunderland, the pound plunged in in the space of seconds. But yeah, in the space of just a few hours between when it was generally considered that Remain had won to when it was pretty obvious that Leave had won. Um, this is the basically the, the exact amount of time that I spent in the Churchill pub on 28th and Park <laughs> drinking pint after pint of iced rosé. Don't ask me why. Iced? Um, Interesting. Um, but the, <laughs> um, but the, in the space of that time, the pound dropped from over... One dollar fifty to the pound to like one dollar thirty three to the pound. Yeah, it's like a major currencies do not do that. I saw one person tweeting that this you, you're you're an ex Bloomberg guy. You will know what this means. One person tweeted that this was a sixteen sigma move in the pound. <laughs> it's it's it is phenomenal because I think when you look at it, you say, oh well, it's just ten cents or whatever. You know, that ten cents or twelve cents, whatever the fuck it was is massive you know when you look at the you look at the, the the capital that is out there and the movement of 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 these markets it is so i mean i think a, a person who doesn't think about it much or it hasn't had to sit you know let's say at a terminal um this is a major event this is not a minor thing this affected every every market in every part of the world asia the asian markets started sort of spiraling I mean, the the, 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 the the yen soared, the Nikkei stock market crashed, the UK stock market, of course, crashed. It's going to crash again now because the Labour Party, I mean, it's, it's crazy the amount of chaos this has caused domestically. The Tory party was already completely split and fractured and leaderless, and now the Labour Party is too. Right. Um, there might well be, despite the fact that the UK now has fixed elections every five years, there might actually be an early election just because there's no credible government anymore in the UK. The repercussions of this 
are not just about Britain in the EU. They're also narrowly about like, there's no one in charge and no one has a clue what they're doing. Right. Which is exactly what's true of all governments everywhere, but it's just been like completely exposed. I mean, you know, like I think we, I think we, I, I assume that everybody's kind of making it up as they go, but usually like there's a, there are enough people making things up that you, it feels like you, you're sort of covered in this case. It's actually, like, yeah. But the fact is that, that Britain hasn't, historically work like that britain has historically and if and if you've ever watched yes minister or yes prime minister you'll understand this britain has this permanent civil service which basically runs the country and the politicians are there for show except for now the politics has managed to sort of trample the technocrats to the point at which they are increasingly powerless right like the sort of the sort of um the boring, safe, like predictable version of, of the government is has been has been destroyed in some way by this passionate and also largely meaningless portion of it. I mean, it's 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 sort of insane to me. So okay, so so obviously bad for the economy, everybody's economy, not just. I mean, everybody. It's not just like the you know oh the UK is screwed. It's actually the entire world is screwed in some way. Not completely screwed. It's not like we're you know, uh, uh, in free fall, but it's not good. But there is talk now of a second vote. And I want to understand how this works because now it doesn't he, work. Well, it, 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 I mean, there's a, so there was this guy, um, who's a, who was a supporter of the leave campaign. He wanted the, um, he wanted Britain to leave the EU and he could see which way the wind was blowing. And he, like the rest of us was pretty much convinced that remain, was going to win. And so what he did is he started this referendum. I mean, it's not this referendum. He started this, um, uh, what's it called? A petition on, uh, under UK law, if you start a petition and you get more than 100,000 votes, then you can force a debate in Parliament. That's why we had a debate in Parliament about whether we should allow Donald Trump into the country because there was a petition which got more than 100,000 votes saying like, you know, the UK should ban Donald Trump from the country. Yeah. So he starts this petition saying like, if there, if the referendum is close, if it gets less than, you know, 60% of the vote or, you know, 70% turnout, then there should be a second referendum. Right. Because he's like, I want a second bite at this cherry. And then what happened is that leave won and he was super happy but his petition still existed online and now all of the remainers are signing it because it was closed and so now it has over three million signatures and uh, you know literally millions of brits including myself have signed this petition um but it's a largely meaningless exercise i think the probability of having a do-over is minuscule because there's like no appetite to relive the nightmare that was <laughs> that particular well, referendum well, campaign but what about so but i mean if the country is like wait a second we screwed up and if everybody who voted not everybody but lots of people who voted to leave didn't understand it and didn't understand the repercussions and now they do hypothetically couldn't this swing it back in the other direction and everything would just return to normal. I mean, isn't there a possibility that now having seen the error of their ways or is it just too much? You think it's too much drama for, for the UK to handle. So the, the, the more likely outcome is that if 
there was an early election, that will be contested by not only the two main parties, the Tories and Labour, but also by the Liberal Democrats, who used to be a force, but then in 2015 kind of got wiped out. Um, still, they exist, and they have now said explicitly, they are always a very pro-European party, and they have said explicitly, we are going to run on the platform of staying in the EU, of saying, like, you know, the referendum is all well and good, and we understand that people are angry and all the rest of it, but we are not going to invoke Article 50, and we are not going to leave the EU. Right. And... And if there is an early election, and if someone with that kind of policy becomes the government, then Britain won't leave the EU. And at, at some point, the referendum becomes like nothing more than the memory. Right. It's but just, right now, it's it's still very salient. It's a fresh fresh wound. But I mean, essentially, so so this could shift politics in the country back. I mean, in a significant way. Am I crazy in, in thinking that? I mean, in that. There, there was certainly there's this thread of like isolationism and nationalism and and uh, I mean there, the people who voted to leave certainly yes maybe there's an economic there was an economic argument like this money this lie about the money was it 350 million pounds being given to the EU every week was that the number that they were saying yeah yeah we're saying yeah they 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 wheeled that number out you know all the time even though. It, they all knew that it was a lie. Right. So, but there's a possibility now that that party that pushed this, or that anyone that actually pushed the idea of that leaving was a positive, could be diminished significantly by the fact that it clearly was a shitty idea. I mean, it seems seems fairly obvious at this point, right? Even to people who must have who must hate immigrants and want think this is a great way to keep them out of the country, even though that that's not true. I mean, that in, it would it maybe in some way enhance the idea that this is not was not a good um, vote either way. So, okay, so like if you're talking about the diminishment of the leave campaign, this is this is actually a really important way of uh, you know part of what's going on here is that. The Leave campaign was supported, you know, I'm going to be very snobby and elitist here, and that's just because I'm a snobby elitist. Yes, please do. Um, the, the, the Leave campaign was basically supported by old white people living in the countryside who are, you know, in very large part racist and voted Leave because they want to literally, and I'm not making this up, kick the immigrants out right they have said this over and over again and if you talk you know if you look at the interviews with these people and if you look at what they're po posting on facebook you know they're saying this is great we voted leave we can kick the immigrants out that if you are you know polish in england and there's a lot of poles who live in england um your experience of of living in england over the past couple of days has basically been people coming up to you and going you have to leave now. Yeah. No, no, and, there's, there's stories and, and, being oh, written on this. The, and, the, and the point is that no one, but no one in the Leave campaign, not even Nigel Farage, has ever suggested that legal immigrants to the UK who are legally in the UK right now should get kicked out. This, is, this, is, this was like a dog whistle, which they were... Um, which they, you know, got a whole bunch of racists to vote for them right, on, on the belief that 
if they voted leave, then all of these immigrants would get kicked out but of they, the country. But they, knew, but, they, but, but they didn't say it, but that was certainly the undercurrent, was it not? That was the, exactly. That was the undercurrent of what they were saying, and they knew that was a lie, and they should have come out and said much more explicitly, look, we're going to vote for leave for all of these people who are here are going to stay here because they're legally here and we're not going to kick them out. They never said that during the campaign. Yeah, but now they're saying it. And now all of the Leave voters are looking at the Leave politicians and saying, hey, you know, why did I even vote for you? I've managed to lose, you know, a large amount of money. I can't go on holiday abroad anymore because my pound is worthless. And I'm not even going to get what I wanted, which is to kick all of these immigrants out. I mean, this is, this is, I mean, I have to, I just have to go back to this. I, I know I already said it, but the mirror, the mirror between this and, and what's happening in the U.S. is really striking because this is Donald Trump. This is the wall. This is the ban on Muslims. I mean, this is, you know, this, I mean, of course, Trump, unlike your politicians, perhaps, who are slightly more subtle, Trump is saying it outright. But that is, these are bullshit promises. Like, even if Trump wanted to ban Muslims, it would be impossible I mean, it would be relatively impossible. And it would if, be impossible. And if he wanted to build a wall, which is, I think is completely bullshit on a technical level as well as a philosophical level, he would, it would be almost impossible to do. I mean, it really is not a thing that you can do. Has anyone told him that we have net migration from the U.S. to Mexico right now? There are more people emigrating from U.S. to Mexico than there are emigrating from Mexico to the U.S. I mean, what would be the point of telling somebody like Donald Trump something logical or reasonable? I mean, what would be the point of telling anybody who thinks this way something like, I mean, you can't reason with, I mean, the, the thing that you're describing is so outrageous. I mean, it is such a an outmoded and dying frame of to, to think about the world where you're like, oh, let's get these immigrants out of here. I mean, what UK, what is the version of, of England that they're imagining that they want to live in? Like, what year was that that they think, that they're thinking about? Is okay, it, so that, that's a good question. In the U.S., I think people want to re revert to, like, the 1950s. The 50s, of course. In, in, in England, I think they want to revert to, like, the 1890s. <laughs> which is, uh, yeah, which, is, by the way, not that great of an era. I mean, really. But <laughs> this is, no, no, this is, like, you have to understand, especially among Leave voters, generally believe that the era of empire and colonialism was the greatest point in British history, and they would love to have that back. Right. They are like pro-colonialists. Right. Well, but I mean, for a certain segment of the populace, that's very true, I'm sure. Just like in the 1950s, for a certain segment of the populace. I mean, in America, if you were middle class, middle to upper class and white, you were having a pretty good time in the 50s, you know, which yeah. is a, a not the entirety of the country not it's a small frankly like not the uh, i don't know if it was even the majority but the point is that it's a, it's a it's a fantasy based on a, a reality that doesn't exist and never really existed it's just like a limited viewpoint and so it's it's so it's so insane to me that we're having these fucking conversations and i can't believe we're having them in both countries it's it, it what's what's strange is that like and it's not just these two countries either like these atavistic nationalisms are cropping up all over the world in extremely poisonous ways and increasingly across Europe. I mean, look at Hungary. Right. It's terrifying. I mean, so what, here's, then we talked about this Look at Turkey. I mean, you know, it, it never ends. How much of this is, how much of this is to do with, um, well, we talked about this a little bit and I've talked about this several times on the podcast, which is the death, this is the death throes of sort of the white, 
classic sort of white power um, uh, in the world. And, uh, you know, obviously there's, it's different in every country, but I'm, I'm curious to how much you think it's sort of, okay, that, you know, white, let's say white male power is waning in the world. And there's an ascendant power that is, looks very different, I think. And then you've got, but then how much of it is actually triggered by the past, you know, what is it? 15 years of whatever this phantom war is that we've been in with, radical, you know, with fundamentalist, fundamentalism, essentially, uh, Muslim and and otherwise. I I have to say that in terms of Brexit, the referendum would not have been called and the um, racist undertones, which probably always existed, would not have become like the racist overtones that they became were it not for the flood of refugees from Syria into the European Union and increasingly from North Africa as well. So the turmoil um, in the Middle East has was in some ways a cause, the cause of this referendum and this result. Um, so yeah, there is a connection there. And the European Union has been really bad at dealing with this refugee problem and the, and the migrant issue. The Germans have been kind of steering the ship, but doing it in a very uncertain way. They kind of said, we want, we'll, we'll allow you to apply for European, you know, refugee status. And then once you're here, you can go anywhere. And that no one really knows um, how to deal with it. They did this really kind of unspeakable deal with Turkey where they were like, we'll pay you $6 billion to like not send us refugees. Um, and, <laughs> and, and it's there insane. was, and, and there's a lot of this kind of stuff going on. And so, yeah, the, that sort of issue about what's going on in, in Syria and that region is definitely connected to the vote and the outcome, but at the same time, um, this is uh, this is bigger than that, and this is ultimately a self-inflicted wound. I cannot blame any kind of you know Muslim extremists for what happened in the UK. This was a bunch of English people getting it wrong and white English people getting it wrong and it's their own fault. Right. And they've, I mean, they've, and do you think that, is there an awareness? I mean, you're saying that people are going around saying you've got to get out of the country. In fact, I actually retweeted a story today, a Bloomberg story that, um, they're now like there's suddenly people are starting to see just blatant racism, like a day following this vote or whatever, mm-hmm. that people are now being outright racist to, 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 um, to people in in the UK, which sounds like a bad trend, you know, it's like a very very destructive trend that's going to. It used to not to happen in the UK. Like it used to happen in France, and we in the UK <laughs> used to be like feel all superior to the French because you know those idiots in the south of France in like you know Marseille or whatever would would be like overtly racist and vote for someone called Le Pen, and we would never do that. Right. And now and now it is happening on the streets, um, in the open, and it is depressing and terrifying and incredibly regressive and in a like you and i basically grew up in a world which was getting better yes 
you know, the, the equality was widening and, you know, women were becoming more equal and ethnic minorities were becoming more equal and LGBT people were becoming more equal and everything was becoming basically better and everyone could say, this is the best time to be alive because, like, you know, in the past, it was obviously worse for all of these groups of people. And now, I don't know. Like, now I now it's we're moving in the wrong direction. But, but, but we're not actually moving in the wrong direction. I mean, this is the, I mean, if you look at the spread of the age and the vote for the Brexit, it's the old the old citizenry of the country are voting for this. Um, a great deal more than than the young people are. I mean, and this to me is like when you see the support for not that there aren't young people who support Trump because there are, but in my opinion, and this is this is sort of like my not I don't own this, but my grand unified theory of where we're headed as a as a society is that we're headed towards a more liberal, more progressive, more open minded, more global, more understanding. I think that we actually are moving in that direction. I think that the 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 era that we've grown up in is that's a reflection of real of the reality that is the trend line. And yet there is a force moving against it, but the force moving against it is a force from a different age that is trying to return to that age. I mean, I think that that and I think that there is a uh, there is age is a factor here, you know. And I think if we were in a Logan's Run situation where everybody at thirty was trying to, you know, was going entering carousel and trying to get to renewal, I think we'd be all sad. I don't know if you understand my Logan's Run um, <laughs> reference whatsoever, but I, but I think like I'm starting to come around to the idea that we should all be burned up in some kind of fancy fanciful game uh, when we hit thirty, and then this would never occur. I mean, there is an age factor here. Is there not? There is I mean, certainly in the UK. Absolutely, there is an age factor. But the point is that if you look at the demographics of the US and the UK, there is a huge number of old people. And what's more, <laughs> those old people vote in much, much larger numbers than young people. Well, this is the, that's the aggravating piece, is that you know, it's like for every Bernie supporter who tweeted something about Bernie or, you know, it's like I actually had arguments with people about, about uh, you know, Bernie versus Hillary and people who are and very vehemently anti-Hillary saying, well, she's, you know, stealing this thing and blah, blah, blah. But if you look at the numbers, it's like, who's coming out to vote? Like the numbers aren't there. The turnouts weren't, I don't even think they were as good as, I don't recall the, the, the full numbers, but I'm not sure that the turnouts were as good as they were in 2008. So, so I'm trying to understand, you know, uh, like how how what is the justification the young people aren't coming out and voting i mean that that's part of the issue isn't it that's absolutely the issue it's so it's fucking that, annoying. I, mean, it was, I mean it's such it a lazy what a lazy generation in honestly the UK, if the young people had voted in the uk at the same rate as the older people then remain would have one so just to, just to be clear, the, the, you're saying that that and I haven't looked at turnout numbers, but you're saying there was a lower there was a low turnout for the youth vote. Lower, yes. Lower, yeah. I mean that's that's depressing. What's insane is that it's. I, I mean, think, part, partly it's because of the constituency system. I mean, there are there are sort of structural reasons why that's the case because young people are much less likely to actually live in their constituency at the on the day of the vote than old people are. Old people just stay put and never go anywhere. Young people are traveling, they're, you know, working somewhere else, they're staying with their parents or whatever, you know, and so it's a little bit more difficult for them necessarily to be able to reach the polling station on the day. But that's no excuse. I don't think it's an excuse. I feel like it's not an excuse. I feel like it's, this is a, this is, I feel like one of the problems with having grown up, as you just mentioned in this sort of 
era where it seemed like things were getting better, the world was getting better. I do think it has induced a kind of laziness where you assume that there's a there's a mechanism that is functioning that doesn't require your attention. Correct. And, and the complacency about the power and danger of those old people, right? Because it turns out that those old people, when they are in their death throes, can be unbelievably dangerous. Right. Well, as, as we're seeing now. Yeah. It's just terrifying. Okay, so, so let's, let's talk about what happens... What happens now? What do you think actually happens now? You don't think there's, from what I understand, I'm hearing you say you don't think there's going to be another vote. No. Again, well, well, I mean, there is, there's a good chance that there will be another vote as in a general election. And of course, the general election, the single biggest issue in the general election will perforce be Brexit. You know, that, there's, like you can't have a new election. Sorry, you can't have a new election in the UK without that being the front and center number one issue. Right. Um, and, but I also feel that absent a mandate, it's going to be very hard for any prime minister of the UK to invoke article 50 and basically set the clock ticking on leaving the EU. The point being that it is possible that, you know, Boris Johnson or some other Tory will take over from, um, David Cameron, who said that he's leaving the premiership in October or so. Right. Um, Great move. Like, he, will, he will be replaced by someone else. But that someone else will not have been elected prime minister by the people. That, that, that someone else will just have been elected the leader of the Tory party by Tory MPs. And, it's, and probably that person, whoever it is, will not feel that that is enough of a mandate to do something as momentous as signing basically Britain's death warrant by invoking Article 50. So they're going to want to go back to the people and say, elect me as your prime minister with that mandate to invoke Article 50, and then I will do that. So, you know, so then what you have is an election about Europe. It might not be another referendum, but it will be It'll another be election. For all intents and purposes. But you're, you're saying that there are, is there still a strain in the in the party, even in this in this very conservative on the very conservative side of things, where they would push the issue to leave now, having seen, I mean, have first off been essentially caught with their pants down where they didn't really have a, a plan at all and weren't really serious. But what part of the party, is it Boris Johnson? Is they, would he be the person who would get up there and say, I mean, who would say, let's keep trying to leave, let's invoke Article 50 at this point? Oh, yeah. So what would, yeah. So if you have Boris Johnson or you know, Michael Gove or Theresa May or someone who's a lever as the leader of the Tory party, they are going to run in the general election on the platform of we want to leave the EU. Right. And then it's up, it's up to the Brits to decide whether that's something that they want to vote for. Certainly, Scotland, which is still a member of the UK for the time being, would vote overwhelmingly against it and will vote um, probably as they did in 2015 for the Scottish Nationalist Party. Um, so you'll get a whole bunch of Scots, Scottish Nationalists in Parliament in the UK, none of whom would ever vote for leaving the EU. So, you, you know, there's already a sort of hurdle to overcome there. I, I don't know. I mean, the problem is that there isn't really an opposition. The problem is that the Labour Party, the main opposition party in the UK, is even 
is in even more of a shambles than the Tory party right now. It's basically completely leaderless and rudderless and has no idea what the hell it's doing. So, like, the alternative to voting Tory is voting for, you know, a bunch of Muppets. So, I mean, is it uh, is it likely... I mean, do you think it's likely then that that the that the uh, whoever comes into power by vote will it will it's going to be a, a, a somebody who's pushing re- remain? The, the the permutations and combinations here are kind of endless, and it's not at all obvious that there actually will be another election. You know, um, <laughs> really? Yeah, I mean, they like, we actually have an act of law which says there is not going to be another election until twenty twenty. So, you know, it's not easy to overturn. <laughs> you know, it's what you know. What's amazing is, it, it in a way, what's really the the greatest thing to come out of this, at least for me, I'm speaking personally, is it makes. I'm not saying this is a good thing, by the way, but it just makes America seem slightly less insane. <laughs> I mean, it makes the U.S. seem, you know, like we have problems, but it's there's not some fluidity. Like there's going to be a presidential election and somebody's going to be nominated. And like then that's going to stick for at least four years. Like it's very unusual. Like people don't, you know, you've got a prime minister who just resigned, right? Which yeah. is, ne- does not ever happen here. It's happened like one time in modern history. Right. I mean, we, we, we don't there seems to be a volatility to the UK that makes um, that the makes the US as insane as it is right now with Trump and his supporters almost seem stable, which is <laughs> which is like, you know, very depressing for for you and, and for your brethren in in, uh, in uh, the UK. But for me, it, I think it's uh, it also makes us I think we're not so alone in the world. Everybody, everybody is having their own turmoil, which is yeah. which shouldn't be hardening, but it admit, is. Like this is this is the point. Like Thursday was the point at which all of my smug Britishness just like deflated out of me. You know, <laughs> I I spent twenty years living in the U.S. kind of smugly thinking to myself, you know, haha, I'm Britain. We kind of yeah. can be like you know at least we don't have these crazy tea parties and the dysfunctional legislature and the idea that you could like you know have an eight member supreme court and refuse to appoint the ninth member for like no good reason and all of this kind of dysfunction um you know i'm like that could never happen in the uk i was like you know little little sort of undertone of a smug English yeah. to, to to the way I looked at the US <laughs> has completely gone out the window. No, it's, fanta- now it's I'm like, fantastic. I'm like, oh my god, we're even worse. This is a fantastic moment for people in the US. I think that we should really embrace it. And whenever you're around someone you know who's British, <laughs> I mean, I really feel this. No, I mean, the, the sense of superiority is just, palpable just rub, when you're rub when, that salt back in the wound. You know? No, yeah, really, absolutely. no, really, because because how long has it been? I mean, the the feeling of of utter superiority is, has been. I mean, since really, I mean, at least in modern, in my, in the modern era here, like um, since George W. Bush took office, I think there's been a real sense that we are in some way a diminished uh, democracy, that we are, and also our populace is sort of stupid, you know, because it's like, how did you vote George W. Bush in twice? Everyone from Europe, you know, when, when, when gay marriage finally passed in the U.S., they were like, oh, well done, we did that years ago. (laughs) Yeah, like patting us on the head. Yeah. But you know what? Now the uh now it's all come full circle, hasn't it? You've got you've got Boris Boris Johnson, he's the one with the uh, kind of Trump style hair, right? 
Yeah, he's 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 the sort of blowhard blonde. Yeah, but wasn't he at some point kind of seen as like an interesting and radical, like sort of progressive? I mean, am I crazy? But was there a moment a while ago where Boris Johnson seemed like? I mean, did he go more conservative, or was he always very conservative? He was always conservative. Um, what happened was that he was mayor of London, and um, as you know. Being mayor is not really a party political job. You can't, as, as Fiorello LaGuardia said, there's no Republican or Democratic way of taking out the trash. Right. You know, the being mayor is is much more sort of technocratic. It's about you know bike lanes and buses. And, and he was a kind of a kind of a good, kind of a good mayor, right? Am I crazy? And he he was not a bad mayor. Right. Um, and and so I think people forgot how. Um, like ideological he was precisely because he wasn't in an ideological job right that's sort of like and, and to be mayor, honest like mayor of a, new york it's it was like, a close run thing like he agonized about whether to um support the leave or the remain camp you know it like he most of britain was surprised when he came out and said he was going to support leave uh-huh. everyone was everyone thought it was just going to be nigel farage and a bunch of wingnuts and then Bob Boris came out and said, I'm going to be leaving. And like, oh, wow. Boris is, is leave, leave. Now it's actually a fight. Um, and, that, yeah. and that was close. And if he hadn't done that, if he, if he had done the sensible thing and just, you know, stuck with supporting Remain, which he almost did, then Remain would have won. All right. So listen, I mean, this, we could probably talk about this for several hours, but I should, we should wrap up. But I want to ask you a personal question. Since you live in the U.S., you are a British citizen, are you not? I am, yes. Does this, um, you know, how do you feel personally? Are you, I mean, I know obviously your sense of superiority has been stripped away. That's clearly, you know, but does this, does this, do you feel that, that you, the, the U.K. that you know, the Britain that you know, has changed fundamentally? Is it a place that you still feel a part of? Or has it, has it all, has this, uh, is this just a moment of stupidity, I guess, is my question? Or is this a trend line which suggests a kind of, um, a turn in the country? As, as far as I'm concerned, Britain, and specifically England, just voted to fall into the sea and become an <laughs> irrelevant island off the coast of Europe, which I have, I don't even recognize. Like, the, the 52% of the UK who voted for leave is is not my Britain is has has no alignment with anything that I believe in, and yeah, I mean whatever loyalty, the sort of like weird vestigial loyalty I had to the UK as a British citizen, I I have to say I don't have that anymore. But, I'm like, who are these people? But you feel like just to be clear, you feel like if this if this if the Article Fifty were to were to go through, mm-hmm. and 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 the and the UK left the EU, it would be the long-term effect would be disastrous. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Economically, socially, in every way? Yes. And you think it would make the country irrelevant? Yes. You believe that wholeheartedly? Yes. So it's very bad. Yes. (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying because it seems like, okay, yeah, I mean, everything seems like, well, we'll get over it, you know. If Trump actually built the wall, which, of course, he cannot do physically, he can. They can. It cannot be done, and will never be done. But if Trump were to somehow do it, it would be like, okay, well, there's a wall now, you know. But we'll survive, or we'll keep going. Something will happen. And it, but you think that like this is like really, 
puts um, the UK in a place that if if, it, if the UK leaves the EU, not only is it disastrous for the UK, not only does it mean you know, like I grew up being able to live and work and love and everything anywhere I wanted to in the entire European Union, that goes out the window, right? Like I suddenly now as a Brit become this tiny like insular you know, confined to this dreadful racist island off the coast of Europe. I mean, like, who wants that, right? <laughs> right. Uh, but, but, it's not, but it's worse than that. Because if Britain leaves the EU, what that does is it triggers a set of, you know, as I say, these atavistic nationalisms across Europe. If this referendum took place in France tomorrow, probably they would vote to leave as well. You're going to get Spain, all these like nationalisms in Spain, the Catalans, the Basques, they're going to d demand independence. The European Union, I mean, the, as I, I talked a little bit about Hungary, like Greece, all of these countries in Europe, Europe is going through a very tough time right now. Everyone needs to come together, but the reaction of the people of Europe is to split apart. Right. No one, at no point in European, in modern European history, in my lifetime, can I remember this level of mistrust within right. Europe, especially between Germany and Greece, but you know, generally between the North and the South. Right. And if Britain leaves, that is going to exacerbate all of those fractures and make them much bigger and much more seismic. And I fully believe that that would be the beginning of the end of Europe as a whole. So it's not just Britain, which is deeply, deeply damaged by this. It's the entire European project, the post-war project of peace and prosperity and unity within Europe, which is going out the window. I mean, we and could. That is why it's so heartbreaking. I mean, the, I have to say that's a the way you just framed it is f terrifying. I mean, because you because it does feel like it's limited to this. Oh, it's a it's a you know bad bad mark on on the UK, but. You could see over the next 20 years or so, this could spiral into serious. I mean, we could be back into like major, like a major sort of war scenario between some of these countries, given like these, I mean, now maybe 20 is too short, but we could be looking at a, at a Europe that's actually embattled, like physically embattled in some ways, perhaps because of these divides. I mean, it's weird. Might, do, I, do I need to remember, do I need to remind you that, you know, we had one European country successfully invade another european country not so long ago when, well, when russia invaded crimea both russia and ukraine are european countries right well i mean but uh, but i mean that's sort of with russia you sort of expect a certain level of i'm just saying insanity. like don't think you know it, or go back to you know the you know the 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 disaster that we saw in the Balkans and the siege of Sarajevo, like there have been wars in Europe in the recent past. Yeah. And, and, and those were, I mean, but I'm saying the trigger here could be much larger. Um, if you've got this total di disintegration of what seemed to be working, this was a strange thing is that the EU for, I'm sure it's got its problems. I don't live in Europe and I'm not a member of the EU. <laughs> I'm not personally in the EU, uh, but I, you know, it seems like Europe, I mean, for all it's the, the, the hardships that it is going through and that's clear that it is economic and otherwise, it, am I crazy in thinking that the EU has been very beneficial to those countries? Yes. I think the problem is that the Euro has not. And that since the introduction of the Euro, people have, 
um, started blaming the EU. And yes, it was, you know, the euro is an EU project um, and it's been an unsuccessful EU project, to, to put it mildly. Right. Um, but yeah, net, net, I feel the EU has been, and the European project has been obviously and clearly beneficial, especially, and this is the crazy thing, to Britain. Of all the countries in the European Union, like Britain is pretty much at the top of the list of the countries which has benefited the most. And if we are voting to leave, then you can only imagine what, like, you know, Portugal is thinking right now. Right. Huh. Well, listen, uh, it's a terrifying, terrifying vision of the future you've presented here, Felix, I have to say. I now, uh, I now feel like I can need... I, can I merely just end with, uh, you know... A plea to to if you if you meet a Brit on the streets, <laughs> don't don't rub salt in the wounds. Give them a hug because they need it. Oh, yeah, I feel bad. Please don't take this moment away from us. I mean, I feel like it's unfair. I feel like it's in some way unfair to request that we be kind to you in this uh, in this dark period because uh, we, I feel you're owed something, some kind of snark at the very least. Maybe just a light snark and then and then an embrace. I think would be fair. It does suck, though. I will. I will say that. I mean, it does. You, you know, it, it, it's terrible whenever any set of reasonable people seems to become unreasonable, and I feel like this is what's happened with the UK. The Scotland leaving. I mean, the crazy idea of Scotland leaving and then becoming a separate country and part. I mean, they are separate. You know, separate, but they're not. They are part of the. Anyhow, just the idea that that would just completely break apart what we think of traditionally as uh, the United Kingdom. Is an insane idea to me. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that, that Americans might be happy about. There is a genuine possibility now. I wouldn't say it's a probability, but like as we have seen, you know, possibilities can become reality with astonishing speed. There is a genuine possibility now that Ireland will reunify. That Northern Ireland will, you know, faced with the alternative of leaving the EU will vote instead to leave the UK and reunify it with the Republic. <laughs> is that, and is that good or bad? <laughs> I'm, well, I wouldn't blame them. I mean, I wouldn't vote for that. <laughs> God, it's insane. I like that the country can be completely reshaped. Just the whole thing yeah. with some stupid vote. Some though it seems like maybe it was started largely as not a joke, but largely as a, a straw man sort of, I mean, it's a it's a device more than anything. It was a device. It was it was David Cameron's idiotic plan to make UKIP and the you know leave campaign seem irrelevant. And boy, did he fail! Yeah, he's blown it. He's blown it for you. Now look, you've got to you've got to walk through life a sad. Now, uh, yeah. British... Oh, by the way, I also need to say the exception to my like give a Brit a hug rule. Yeah is that if you're walking down the street and you see David Cameron, do <laughs> do feel free to punch him in the face. <laughs> He's not popular. Not a popular guy. No. He's really blown it. Yeah. All right, well, that's a great point to leave it on. Felix <laughs> is advocating violence against David Cameron if you run into him, so please take his advice. And maybe mention his name when the police question you. <laughs> uh, Felix, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, I feel like there's almost no one better who could have explained this with, su with such a... Um, succinct and poetic uh, quality and uh, I deeply appreciate you taking the time and you've got to come back we have to do this in person because we're doing it over Skype which is not I think would not have the same um, we need to be drinking 
Let's and, let's do this over a pint of iced rosé next. Yeah, the, no, I don't understand. Does the ice go in? It goes in the rosé. I would. That that's a conversation for next time. Yeah, it really is. Okay, thank you so much, and uh, and do come back. Thank you. All right. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. Though you're racist, xenophobic, isolationist family, just Brexited. And I'm afraid they're not coming back. <laughs>